is so great, man. The books. The books. Everything's so great. You snooty, snobby. F- yeah. In the memoirs of hatred. Turbo curmudgeon. From my previous work as an astrophysicist. Yeah. Fuck, I had a thought there. That's a shame. Broadcasting live from inside the power band, this is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, The Wolverine, along with my super friends, Jar Higo. Hey. And C-Lab Forever. What's going on? Welcome to the podcast, folks. This week, we're going to be talking about season five of the hit Amazon original show, The Expanse. And man, are we ever excited. So pumped. So pumped. Space Pirates. Dudes. I am actually pretty excited. Let's start the show. I would very much like to hear your two nerds high levels. Sure. Um, so straight away, I like that they're back in our solar system. Um, I like the previous season, but it's good that they're back home. I like the fact that they're all kind of on separate little mini missions or paths or what have you. Um, all of that is good. I like the way everything came together. Um, I definitely found myself frust- really frustrated with the situations that uh, Drummer and Naomi were in, in particular, mm. in this season. Um, but that's just me. Um, I just found them both to be like, I don't know. I was getting mad when I was watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I love it. You know, that happens to you. You're just like, Ugh! like you just get frustrated with it. Mm-hmm. So that was that was at play for this season for sure. But uh, overall, overall good. Like it dragged out or what? What? No, just I just found their situations to be annoying, you know. And uh, yeah, I suppose it was drawn out. Mm. But I, yeah, I had a similar reaction. I, man, this season, Ben and I had a little kind of a quickie side conversation about it the other night. And I said that I was into it. I was like, it's a return to form in the sense that, you know, we're, we're back into like what's going on inside our solar system, like Ben said. And as I watched it, I developed uh, many other conflicting emotions about this season. Like, overall, it was great, and I liked the way that it wrapped up. That being said, um, I found... Firstly, I just... I can't stand Marco Anaros. He is (laughs) the most annoying character ever. And I was so sick of him and seeing him. I, I felt like... And we can expound on this later. It felt like the the focus kind of almost was too much on him. And I feel like the thing with Naomi being there kind of dragged out too much. Um, and that's where I sort of agreed with Ben about like how irritating it was. But like I was genuinely irritated. Like so when we got into like episodes kind of eight and nine, I was like, ugh. Like, is this all that's going to happen? Like, are they just going to try to rescue her and she's trapped and like da-da-da-da-da? And I was like, all right, whatever, dude. And I, I sort of was like on the envelope of noping out. And then like I watched episode 10 and I was like, this is so great, man. Everything's so great. You know, kind of thing. So, sure. you know, I, I had some gripes, but at the same time, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it way more than the last season. The last season... Had some cool elements, but just wasn't really into them being on the planet and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll dive in more as we go. Chad, go ahead. Well, the books. No, um, the books. I knew you were going to say that first. 
I am coming at this from the perspective of having read the books. Um, so in terms of this season, I haven't read any of the books in a long time since we did the, the show last year, mostly because I just was sick of reading the books over and over again. And mm. my recollection of the of this particular book was vague, but going into it, this was my favorite book out of all the books. Like it just really hit me the first time I read it in a great way and really enjoyed the the ride. Probably also similar to what you guys are saying about it being the next the next story after they kind of go on to Illus as a bit of a side garb, not overly connected to the main plot kind of thing. So it's just nice to get back to form, as I believe you mentioned, Benny. Um, but as I was watching it at first, I was like, ah, oh, this isn't really like capturing how much I enjoyed the fifth book. And I kind of decided I didn't want to read the fifth book again because then I just turned into a fucking like turbo curmudgeon. Halfway through, I was like confused about something that happened, and I don't remember what. And I was like, I'm just gonna like read that chapter. And as I read, uh, I kind of skimmed through the the book. Oh boy! I realized they actually did a really good job, and it's really, really close to the books as opposed to the other. Wow! The other episodes or the other seasons. So like, they didn't really change much, and what they did change didn't matter. So they really did kind of hit it very close. Um, hmm. And kind of halfway through, I was feeling quite fatigued of the Expanse universe, probably mostly because of just how much time we've dedicated. So it's not relevant to someone yes. who's just watching it casually. But the second half of the season, I, I enjoyed. And maybe because I kind of saved them up to watch, you know, one after the other instead of watching them week to week, which was kind of annoying. I think, like, at the highest level, my biggest problem with the show is the budgetary constraints that they seem to have. Which, what? What do you mean? Well, I mean, the rumblings are that it's around about three to five million per episode. It's mm -hmm. a, a privately held uh, company, so there's no public knowledge of the budget. But Mando is 15 mil an episode. Game of Thrones is 15 mil an episode. I mean, there's a Reese Witherspoon, you know, Jennifer Aniston show on Apple that's like uh, a serious anchorman. And that's 15 million or 11 million dollars an episode. So, like, they're spending peanuts on this. And they're making a hell of a lot of hay with very limited money. But I feel like the the budget limitations are really holding the show back. And I would love to see mm. what the same mob could do with $15 million per episode. But mm. um, Interesting. Wow, I never thought you were going to say that. Mm. I just, I would just, you know, I, there were times where I just kind of wish they had more money. Because I feel like that's the constraint. They're, they're very talented as a crew. They're clearly very talented as a group of actors and, and writers, etc. And they're doing a good job. And they've got the original authors on board so it's becoming more clear to me that it's uh, budgetary but that's yeah kind of kind of my highest level thought interesting based on that i would say that almost makes me love it more because i mean they're really producing like a top quality show with low dollars sure i mean it's really really good i guess what i mean though is like i have had hard time a hard time connecting to sci-fi or fantasy or whatever in general that doesn't have the big buck budgets. Like I've I've never really connected uh fully to to a lot of the beloved shows out there, you know, like a Firefly or even Battlestar. Like I like them, but I don't love them. And like Mando, I would say like I love Mando. Like Mando's production values are so fucking good. And even Game of Thrones, like regardless of the plot going to shit, the production values are so good that it's so immersive. And so like that's kind of my pref my preference. Doesn't mean they all have to be that. It's just like I prefer those levels, and um, I would love to see what these guys could do with that. But 
Um, I definitely understand what you're saying with like people that can make this magic with less money is impressive, but um, you snooty snobby fuck you. Yeah, I am a snooty snobby fuck. Totally, dude. Right? The, if if my algorithm never goes above a five, it's pretty clear I'm a snooty snobby fuck. <laughs> yeah, when like 800 of your movies are like below five, there's one six, and that's it. And there's like 20 above five. <laughs> You're snooty. Yeah, it's just it's me. It's a me thing. It doesn't mean uh, I'm right. Your middle name is me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Wow. I just feel like if these guys had the money, it would be it would be Mandalorian quality in terms of production value. Like they're they're being short shrifted here. But I guess I'm glad you brought this up because I don't I just I'm not set. I'm not getting like while I appreciate what you're saying, I don't like I, I don't get it at the same time. Like you're you're saying I like I wish they had 15 mil per episode, say, or 10 and they're only doing three allegedly. But it's like. Like, what more would you put in? I mean, everything looks amazing. Yeah, I th- I definitely don't want to go too deep down this because it could really, like, end up into quite a cul-de-sac. But, like, just, like, an example generally is the action sequences. There are action sequences that are skipped from the books, probably to save money. Oh. And then there are action sequences in the show. Like, I think... um an example would be Amos and crew at the mansion. I, I felt like that was a really quick action sequence, and there's actually like a lot more nuance to it. And it seemed like they spent a good chunk of money on the sequence, but it was kind of quick and kind of felt video gamey. And and it wasn't bad, but I kind of just feel like they're being forced to to trim and prune and limit. And and obviously they're spending a lot of money on on you know the CG for the space stuff, which I'm totally on board with. But um, it just kind of sucks that they're they're limited by money instead of their creativity. I see. I see what this is all about. This is all about you and your hatred, mm. the books for the show because you prefer the books, mm-hmm. the books. Mm-hmm. Should I should I mail you my memoirs of hatred so you can write all this stuff down in the memoirs of hatred? Yes, please. <laughs> uh, I mean, I get Expanse, it. You know, episode five, return of the books. <laughs> return <laughs> of the books. So I guess you're right. They could have spent a little more money and gotten Tom Cruise to play Amos instead of West Chatham. I get it. But that being said, I want to bust out a big gun uh, early, just to kind of. I'm curious your opinions. The the rocks hitting Earth. I kind of am curious your guys' perspectives on the severity of that and um, kind of how you perceived the event. Cause it's obviously like portrayed as a bit of a nine 11 event in, in this universe. And I'm just kind of curious um, how the show communicated the severity to you guys, considering, you know, I'm coming from the bigs. Wow, man, you, you really brought your uh, a game of the tough questions today. Um, like the question is how severe did it seem to you? I don't know that they did the best job of communicating how severe the event was. Mm. You get that scene where, you know, there's the uh, the fisherman, like, using his fish radar to, like... <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. Find fish, and then, you know, there's <clears throat> an asteroid collision and, the, you know, massive explosion and a tsunami following. So I think maybe they were weaning on that pretty hard. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just not remembering things very well. No, yeah, um, that's pretty much it, yeah. You know, because otherwise it's like you have uh, 
you have Amos, you know, coming out of a hole in the ground and then just sort of hiking through the woods on his way to the next destination. Yeah. Which might lead you to believe that it just wasn't that severe. But, um, yeah, I, I, that's 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 what I got. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That, I think that's how it was presented as well. Yeah. All right. I, I, I agree. Now that I've, I had a second to think about it while Ben was talking, and I think that um, I don't think it was communicated well enough, the severity of it. Like, I mean... <laughs> I wish I almost wish you hadn't brought up the damn budget thing because now I can't stop thinking about it. Because what I was going to say was, well, if they had a little more money, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I think that um, Ben's right. I agree with him. Like showing the asteroids, you can't get around that. So that showed the severity of physically what was happening on the planet. That said, I think if they had some time to and some cash to flesh that out. And, and it, again, it could be a time thing, too, to show, you know, some kind of establishing shots um, of, like, what how this is impacting the planet. You know what I mean? Like, kind of bouncing around, maybe maybe a quick sequence, I don't know, five-minute sequence, not even, you know, showing, like, the, the sort of the destruction and people displaced and that sort of thing. I think that might have helped to drive it home a little bit better. Mm. Um, the way that they did it, it kind of made it like a... Oh, did you hear about Jerry? He he crashed into a uh, he he rear-ended somebody at a red light the other day. Yeah, you know, like that's how that's how it kind of ended up. And or at the worst, like they an earthquake or something, where like oh, yeah, I was on the other yeah, side exactly, kind of like you know? that. Yeah, that sucks. yeah, exactly. And I think that you know, doing what they did, I don't know, they might might have spent less time on the whole prison and Amos being on the planet, but at the same time, like him sort of reconnecting with. Eric and like finding out about his past was important. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of trade-offs that would be there, you know? So I don't know. I, I think uh, no, they I, probably I did the, go ahead. I wouldn't say they should have skimped on any of that for sure. No, agree. No, that's not what I'm saying, Ben. I'm saying absolutely. They definitely don't skimp on that. Cause that was really kind of the meat of the whole thing, you know, like, yeah, they, I'm disagreeing with you. Uh, well, let's make sure we're talking about the same thing. So I don't think they should have yeah, skimped on, on the Eric stuff. And his past, but really, like we we knew about uh, Clarissa Mal from before, and I, honestly, I totally forgot about her because I don't remember the other seasons. But her being in the the prison, they you forgot Peaches. I know I forgot <laughs> Peaches. Yeah, I did forget Peaches, and I I they could have they could have abridged that. You know what I mean, and kept the focus on. So if there's three. All right, uh, trying not to do a crazy deep dive here, but here's the thing. You've got... No, it's, it's worth it. Amos's past, Peaches, and the destruction of the planet. Those are the three main events that are happening in Amos's thread as he's going to Earth. Mm-hmm. I would have put the energy into the destruction of the planet to sh- uh, showcase what that level of destruction would be like, and I would have put the other energy into Amos and Eric and his past. And I would have abridged the peaches part. Cause we already know who peaches is. You know what I mean? Like that's not, if it was like a totally new character that was going to be major that I could understand, but I think they should have spent less time on that. You know, I mean, mm. I'm not saying that the prison sequence wasn't good. It was great. Like everything about it was great. I really loved the, uh, the lead guard as well. Yeah, she was great. She was awesome, but it just seemed like, the energy should have gone to the other two things because really when you're talking about asteroids hitting a planet, like you're you're talking about like major, major event. Like that is almost an extinction level event. You know what I mean? I mean, Mm. 
uh, you know, from my previous work as an astrophysicist and a uh, prehistoric <laughs> biologist, you know, that's a that's an. Ex- I'm an art chair astrophysicist. Exactly. That's a, that's an extinction level event. So it seems like it would be almost a world ending event. You know, that that's it. If my previous research is correct, that when the asteroid hit the planets, allegedly, and the dinosaurs. Uh, you know, we're there and there was like a dust cloud that covered the earth for a hundred years or whatever. I mean, something similar like that would happen. I'm going to have to double check my data, but I think you know what I'm saying. So uh, that's my, that's my drawn out answer to your question. Like that, that's what they should have done. I'll, I'll chime in. Did you have something there, Benny? Um, what I was going to say is that in regards to the portrayal, especially as where Amos was concerned and where he was now, that is what it would be like uh, as far as I know in areas that weren't directly affected by, you know, the explosion of the asteroid hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, it would take a while before you would, you know, after after a, a X amount of time, then it would just be uninhabitable. You know, it would be far too cold. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's, if they're going to be above ground traveling, it has to be in an area that hasn't been like uh, at the most extreme end of the damage. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Um it's really more the like you know they treat it like uh, it's all in passing you know the, mm-hmm. the 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 damage is all this stuff that's just mentioned sort of in passing so yeah not only that but uh, just this is like a, a minor gripe not 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 like a gripe of Kev but like a legit one it was that I didn't I didn't know where they were I don't remember it said when they when they did that like kind of zoom in helicopter style shot of the penitentiary it just said UN penitentiary. I don't remember it saying where it was. Yeah. So I had a like it it bothered me that I didn't know where they were in relation to Baltimore and like how far they had to go and what they were traversing over like it, that would have for me I guess cuz I'm kind of a geography nerd. That would have been great, but yeah, minor gripe. Well, I can I can speak to that, and I think like the reason I asked the question was because you know it it kind of is an extinction level event. So um, where they are, uh, I don't recall if it says exactly, but the journey from the prison to Baltimore is like three weeks and hundreds of miles, and they end up um, on the electric bikes after they kill the dude in the cabin and travel a few hundred miles. Like they, they're like on foot for a week and then they travel another week and a half on bikes, which is like hundreds of miles. So it would have been like, right. I don't know, North Carolina or Virginia or something where they were. And they had to travel all the way back up to Baltimore. And, um, in terms of the asteroids, there were three asteroids that struck and one of the asteroids essentially struck like on top of the fucking prison or like very close by. So, um, you know, Eric being surprised that Amos is still alive when Amos tells him where he was is um, whether it's in the show or not, I can't recall. But the event itself is like spoken about often in the Avasarala thread and other threads. And they're talking about four plus billion dead. So it's a, a lot. it's a really fucking huge event in terms of the, you know aftermath and my remembering of the book was that it was like a dozen rocks and it's now like they reference it multiple times of like the earth is dead like everyone on earth is going to fucking die it's going to be an ice age kind of thing so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, i just mm -hmm. kind of the only gripe i have that you know i'll just chuck it up the front here because I, i do think it's an interesting topic the only gripe i have is that it didn't really seem to make it clear just how severe that was and 
I feel like if they had made it more clear, it would have kind of put more gravity, no pun intended, behind the Inaros bullshit and right. Belter Uprising and all that kind of stuff. So mm. I, I just I'm coming at it from knowledge of the book. And so I'm just kind of curious where you guys, you know, whether you felt differently because I, I have different awareness of the situation. So no, it's I, it's a great question and a, and a great topic to cover. And I think that um, your non-hatred of the season compared to the books is really serving us well here. I was very curious to know how the book events went down as I was going through the season, but mm. I was nervous about asking you. Sure. This is the only like really big difference in terms of like negative. There's some minor differences that, you know, we can touch on later that may or may not be interesting, but this is the only real gripe I've got. Okay, that's good. And it's not even that big of a deal. Like the same the same idea is got across. I just feel like it kind of, I don't know, you just don't really get an opportunity to tell a story about like the end of the world uh, very often. That's As not know a, uh, you know, 2012 disaster bullshit movie. It's like the end of the world from the viewpoint of the entire solar system as inhabited is like I've never I've never seen that before. So it would have been kind of cool to see. Yeah, right on. You know, it's clear that everybody's taking it pretty fucking seriously. Um, you know, it's clear that drummer's taking it seriously. It's clear that, you know, it, it seems to me that everybody's taking it completely seriously. It's just, I guess maybe the difference here is that uh, it, that event would have a hell of a lot more impact if people weren't already, you know, colonizing space. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the planet got fucked up. It's not going to be habitable for a very long time. But, you know, the people that have survived are, you know, humanity is still intact, I guess, you know. So um, the world ending event is a planet ending event, or at least a, you know, for a very long time, uh, making the planet an uninhabitable event. But humanity is still intact, you know, it's still out there. There's still places to live, especially with the ring. Mm-hmm. there's plenty of habitable planets to go to it's not like you know so I, I think that i think that makes it makes all the difference really yeah yeah and i suppose that kind of echoes what i was where i was coming from with like it's interesting to see the quote-unquote end of the world from the perspective of a solar system that's inhabited you know it's, it's it's just a different viewpoint so yeah i suppose i suppose it was kind of somewhat covered in the show mm. i thought i thought you were saying that they missed the opportunity I was, and and your comment kind of makes me think twice about that comment. It kind of makes me kind of understand that they they did touch on it. I suppose I I suppose my gripe is just even if they had just said four billion people were dead once, it would have been like, oh shit, this is actually like you know, it's not you know a nine eleven like thing. They let the asteroids do all the heavy lifting there, like you know. I guess they just presume there have been enough, you know, Discovery Channel. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what would happen, you know, extinction event, asteroid collision shows to uh, just sort of be like, okay, we hit the planet with three asteroids. What the fuck do you think happened? <laughs> That's <laughs> fair enough. The Expanse Season 5, Life After People. That's certainly what I was thinking at the end of last season, you know. When I knew the asteroids were on their way, I was like, "Oh, well, that's that for Earth." Pretty much. I still have a little bit of a a little grumpy about the reveal of that because it's such a surprising thing in the beginning of the book. Uh, just mm. in the sense that you don't know it's coming, whereas like they made it pretty clear that some heavy shit was about to go down from a cliffhanger perspective at the end of last season. Yeah, I still didn't get it. 
last at the end of last season, I remember being like, duh. I didn't know. I was like, it took me forever to put that together. Well, it's the same at the end of this season with that, like, final sequence where they're on the ship and turn into fucking bullet time. You know, you're just kind of like, what the fuck was that? You know, because it just doesn't explain what happens. What? Bullet time? What are you talking about? When there's the two Martians and she's handing them the bracelet and then they turn into, like, golden fucking clouds. Oh, no, they got derezzed, bro. That's how I read that. Yeah, for sure. But, like, it's just super vague, so similar kind of vibe. Do we want to uh, do the Amos thread since we're close to it? or? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, what do you want to do? We've kind of touched on a lot of it already. I mean, I, I guess just, like... Sorry, that was very negative, Nelly. Go ahead. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Amos is a very interesting character, and he hasn't had a ton of of um focus throughout the the seasons he's been i mean i don't want to call him comic relief but like his you know interactions with murty murtry or whatever his fucking name was last time around yep and like his hard acidness and his kind of sociopathy is interesting and it's just it's cool to see him be a major focus of the season and in the whole baltimore thread where it's it's clever that they had him be the person witnessing the end of the earth and and it gives you a chance to be um a fly in the wall of the asteroid stuff and it was just yeah it's a it's a really major component of of this particular season and probably the reason why i liked the fifth book so much and i just they handled it well yeah he's a really great character man because he's you know in in many ways he's sort of this classic tough guy but like he's the characters are really well written in these stories and he's got a lot of depth and he kind of hides his empathy and his vulnerability, it's like he hides it deeply and yet not at the same time, which is what I think is really cool about Amos as a character. And, you know, all of the reasons he goes back to Earth are along that vein. You know, he's going to see that woman who he really cares about that you know, basically raised him, it sounds like, and peaches. Uh, so I dug that, man, for sure. I, I really like that. He's a great character. I didn't like him in the beginning when we first started on this, but uh, I've come to just love him. He's a fantastic, man. Mm. I think it's it's great evolution for the character, you know. Um, yeah, there you go. He's come a long way since the beginning of the ride in terms of figuring out and getting in touch with the things that Amos wants to get in touch with, you know, which has a lot to do with what you were talking about, Kev, you know, like sort of uh, discovering his empathy and, and, and um, wanting to be part of a family and, you know, wanting to have people in his life. And, but it's still, it's still Amos, you know, he's still like, you know, when he meets his, uh, we'll, we'll call her his mentor or stepmother, or whatever, when, when he goes to the apartment and meets, you know, uh, his, her lover Charlie. that survived her. What's that? Charlie played by Frankie Faison, who's awesome. Mm -hmm. Who was awesome. Indeed. He's kind of hostile towards him at first. And then, uh, you know, he, he seems to change his tune pretty quickly once he realizes how much he cared about her, you know? Mm, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's good stuff. I, I, I really enjoyed the Amos thread for sure. I like the uh, coming off of that uh, confrontation with the landlord from Coming to America. That was for you, Kev. The, um, Thank you. Yep. I like how that conversation essentially is the only reason that Amos seeks out Eric. It was like Charlie being like, no, man, you know, I got to move out. They're going to fuck me. And he's like, oh, I'll go sort it out, you know, and he's doing it as a favor to his, you know, former um, mom, surrogate mother. And um, it kind of sets that whole thing in motion. You know, I, I like that 
his he's so like binary. He's either off or he's on, you know, and it's like (laughs) he's off Frankie Faison and he's just going to like beat his ass. And then as soon as as soon as he makes it clear that he cared about the surrogate mother, he's like he flips the switch. And now he's like, okay, I'll help you, you know, and um, just is like a fucking juggernaut. You know, he's like a freight train just blasting through people to get to Eric. And then he's like, all right, Eric, we're going to do this. And if you don't, you know, I'll fucking kill you. And he's like, yeah, cool. All right, whatever. You know, it's just a, it's an interesting, uh, yeah. he's such a unique character in that sense, you know. He's, he's developed, he's developing his moral compass, but like it has no fucking subtlety at all. None, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like you said, it's very binary. It's either on or it's off. And yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying he there. cuts through the bullshit. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if I agree with a lot of that, actually. I think that he's, he, I mean, he's a straight shooter, you know, like, I don't know, I don't, th- I don't think he's a juggy in the sense of like X Men juggy. I don't know. I, I don't. There's more to him than that. And sure, that might have been a poor choice of words, but I think there. Well, whatever, man. I mean, look. I think that there always was more to him, and I think he was clearly a guy that experienced a lot and has gone through a lot of pain as well. You know, so we've seen him open up over the course of these five seasons, right? And that's a great thing, you know. And he's. All about the crew of the Rasanante, that's his family, you know, and, and we've seen him open up even more because of that. And that's that's a good thing. I, I think that he's he's just a straight shooter and maybe maybe Ben was right. I mean he's I, I don't know, I feel like the moral compass was there. I feel like he's opening up more maybe instead of developing the compass. I think the compass was there, maybe not. Um but See that that's maybe where I disagree. Yeah. I, I see him more of a, as a straight shooter, you know what I mean? So in there's no subtlety from in that respect. So it's not that he's binary being black and white necessarily. He's he is a multifaceted person, you know. It's just uh he's a he's not afraid to say what he thinks, he's not afraid to stand up to people. Like that's that's very kind of I get that, you know. I, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. Maybe it does. I think his his conversation in this season about tribes is is where it's at like totally he uh it's not it's not on or off binary or black or white binary it's in or out you're either in the tribe or you're out of the tribe and if you're out of the tribe he will fucking kill you without a a hesitation i can dig that yeah sure i don't particularly agree with the moral compass i think that his hard knock life was such that he didn't have the luxury of a moral compass and and started to develop one by um, his exposure to the actual straight shooter, which is Holden, and observing Holden's decision making, especially in the first couple of uh, book slash seasons. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think particularly when he says to Clarissa in the dude's cabin, "Like I need to get back to my crew," once he realizes that she's right that they shouldn't have killed him, and Holden wouldn't have killed him. I think it's a good example of how he recognizes that he's, you know, maybe broken is a term he might use for himself. And he needs to surround himself with people that have morality because he recognizes just how little he he has, I guess, is maybe where I'm coming from. Yeah. Wow. All right. Um, hmm. I see what you guys are saying. I think um, it all goes back to the flashback about with him and his, his surrogate mother. And she's talking to him about, you know. Uh, she says something along the lines of, you know, people like me may not have uh, what it takes. 
I, I don't remember what the hell it is, but you know, it's, she basically gives him like a fake it till you make it sort of speech. You know? Yeah, definitely, totally. I dug that whole thing. Great sequence. And the, I think that 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 really kind of sums it up there. Whatever you know, what I was saying. Yeah, I think you guys are right. I don't know. I, I'm changing my. Uh, I'm just, I'm swinging my answer. I don't. I think you guys are right. I don't think what I said before was right. I mean, there's definitely love for. I could understand a wanting Amos to be good at heart from the beginning, but I, you know, speaking only to the character history and not to anything in real you life. Know the mati- sorry. Yeah. No, finish your thought. S- not speaking to reality because I have no experience or expertise in this particular space, but speaking just to the um, the story, you know, it's insinuated that he's essentially a, a former child pl- prostitute and, and um, has a bit of a predilection for older women, which kind of insinuates that, you know, that was part of his clientele that he was, you know, forced to, to prostitute for. And, you know, the, the motherly figure in this case might have, uh, I, I believe, was a former prostitute as well. And so there's a lot of, of trauma there. And, mm. and um, they, they were lovers. Yeah, so. exactly. So yeah. In, in terms of, I think, the churn novella makes that clear, Benny. Is that right? Yeah, it does. You're talking about him and Lydia. They were lovers. Yeah, but I think both of them were, were former prostitutes as well before getting together. But was was the mom was that Lydia? Yeah, the blonde. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yes. Oh, dude. So it's like a um, it's like a. I think it even might have touched on it in the show, but I think it's like a, we're broken people. We can never be fixed because of what's happened to us, and they kind of like come together as broken people. And obviously, the abuse continuing from the perspective of anyone with you know outside of it recognizes that it's not an appropriate relationship, and it's by definition abuse but like wanting Amos to have a kernel of goodness left I think is is nice but I think it's a little quaint because you're not going to come out of that type of abuse with I don't know it's, it's just you could you could imagine that that would be We're very destructive to the psyche of the person and so it, it it makes his his um approach to life a lot more understandable I guess maybe for lack of a better word yeah yeah I'm with you, man. I think – I mean, look, I, I don't – you know the material way better than any of us. You know, I don't know it. And I don't even remember what the hell I watched in seasons one through four. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I remember – I remember a lot of it, but a lot of it I forgot. So I can't really say. I just think that, I don't know, binary just I didn't, – I didn't like that. That seems too simple to paint him into a black and white binary mm. corner and be like, oh, he's very binary. It's like, eh, I don't know. It's fair. The tribal thing I think is a better choice of words. Well, I think what you said, you know, just right now, like the trauma, like all of that. I mean, there's a lot of layers to that guy, you know. So anyway, whatever. Let's move on. No, I was – to be clear, I was only referring to how he seems to rea- uh, react and respond to the people around him. Yeah. Like he lacks subtlety in in his moral compass. Yeah, there's same. no gray areas for – Yeah, yeah. I'm almost saying the same thing that you were saying, like, you know – um, it's just it, that's that's how he reacts. He's either you know you see it happen in, in the scene with uh, the landlord from <laughs> coming to America. Coming to America. <laughs> yep, you see that happen there. He goes from like you're not in the tribe to you're in the tribe. You know, and I'll help you. And then he hooks him up. Yeah. The only kind of other things on the Amos thread, two little quick uh, scenes that I think you know flesh out what we're talking about is the 
walking up to the drug dealer and being like, I want to talk to Eric and then just absolutely fucking hammering the dude and being like, do you want to be my friend kind of thing was really like a powerful Mm -hmm. example of that. And um, also the final scene where he's like, hey, Holden, can we talk? And it's like says some weird vague shit. And then he's like, oh, yeah, it's all good. You know, like he completely misreads the the situation and just assumes Mm. Holden's going to be okay with someone who tried to murder him coming and living on the ship. And it's it's just such an Amos thing to do. Totally. It was good, though. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that exhausts. uh... (laughs) That's the show. (laughs) So long, everybody. Why don't you guys pick a character or thread, and we'll talk about it. I'm going to defer to Senator Higo. Uh, all right, we may as well go with the jumping into the frustrating. We'll talk about drummer. Yeah, do it. Um, it's like, let's get pissed. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that she was, you know, on the ship with, like, her polyamorous family. Um, it was good to see, like, a sensitive side of drummer because she's always just mm. been such a hard ass. But... I was annoyed with her response to things in this season and her her inaction, you know, and mm. I, I kind of get it. You know, I, I get that she was trying to make it work and she didn't want to upset the balance of things, but it just seemed very undrummer to me, you know, mm. drummer seems to be one of those people who just can't let something like that go. You know, she certainly hasn't. She certainly hasn't previously. So watching her the entire time just suck it up and suck it up and suck it up. And the longer it went on, the more I became resentful towards her, like her main squeeze, the, her girlfriend there. Mm. Like the more I got resentful towards her and, you know, the the payoff, I feel like in that thread came way too late. Like I just. It's a good one, dude. I don't know. That's that's where I'm at with that one. I yeah. just was very frustrated watching her like just suck it up, you know, and not do anything. Mm. Yeah, I saw I took that differently. I saw that. I know exactly what you mean. And I think that my take on that was that she was always like a guns blazing type of person. You know, if somebody did something, she was going to, you know, cut their nose off or whatever. And I, I feel like she grew over the last couple of seasons as a character and kind of realized what was more important, you know, and it wasn't always the best thing to do to whip out your AK and run in there, you know? So it coupled that coupled with what Marco was doing, you know, he had clearly had Martian collaborators. He had all of these ships, the potential to, run the whole thing. I mean, the guy is such a narcissistic egomaniac, you know, like in a real scary way. I I feel like she was biding her time and waiting for the right moment because I think she saw that she was like jammed right between a rock and a hard place when he, when he pulled her in there, you know, for the meeting, you know, and it was just like, I, mm. I've got to hang back with this dude for now, or he's going to shoot me in the face right now, you know, and then wait. And then, when the opportunity comes later, I'm going to, you know, go ballistic. That's how I read it. So, And that is uncharacteristic for, for her. So I, I agree with Ben there. But I, I it sounded like, Kev, you might have been saying that it was development of her character. Is that what you, what you were partially saying? Yeah, growth and development. Yeah, so it's kind of a bit of both from my perspective. Sorry, I interrupted you if you had any more. No, it's fine. I, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but that's how I read it when I watched it. So I, I don't. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think I don't know. It's not. It's not an agree disagree. I just like that's how I took yeah, it. Sure, so sure. I don't know. Maybe you're right. I really feel like it was deni- dynamic until the last minute. Like I feel like when she decided to to take over and help Holden, that was right there and then. Like she had had it. She wasn't going to take any more. As opposed to like you know the minute they met up with Marco and Ara, she was like plotting something. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I still feel that that that's what she was doing because she was. I don't know, whatever. I, I think I just... They didn't present it that way, uh, Kev, but I think that they would have been better off making it clearer that it was a bit of a sit back and wait for the moment because she saw she was at a disadvantage. And I agree with you, Benny, that they didn't do a great job of making that clear so you could easily end up with a, like, she sat on her hands and then just decided fuck it at the end. So maybe it's just a matter of they could have made it a little bit more clear. Well, anyway, I just I just saw it as a bit of an egregious. I mean, there's there's character develop, and then there's like there's character development, and then there's like destroying the fucking foundation. And I just you know I don't. It would be like if they turned like Amos into a blithering, crying, you know, flower picking, you know, <laughs> it's tree hugging, you know, like it just doesn't fit. And something about what was going on with Drummer there just stunk. Well, I didn't, I didn't like what they were doing with her, and it just yeah. Anyways. That's my opinion. You're on to something there, though, because um, the character in the book is not Drummer. So Drummer is only the head of security that works with Fred in, I don't know, book two-ish. And then she's Mm -hmm. gone. And there's a woman named Michio Pa who is the co-pilot to Ashford on the behemoth when they steal the um, Jehovah's Witness ship and go out into the uh, ring gate. And it's now Medina Station. dude. Sorry? Mormon. <laughs> it's a Mormon ship. Oh, whatever. Same shit. No offense to any Mormons <laughs> or Jehovah's Witnesses out there. So Michio Pa is like kind of straight laced by the book. I take orders. And then Bull, the guy in this season, is actually Fred's right hand person that goes out and ends up causing the insurrection. So Michio Pa and Bull are combined to make the drummer character. Interesting. And so it kind of doesn't surprise me that Drummer in this doesn't feel like it's how she would do things because it's kind of – I get why they did it, but it's it's kind of not her anyways, and it it kind of doesn't line up with how she would have done things. And so maybe they just found themselves painted into a bit of a corner with with Drummer trying to plow through material. I mean – if they had to, if they ended up doing the drummer Michio Pa thing, like drummer would have disappeared for three seasons, and then she comes back now, and you'd be like, "Who the fuck are you?" You know. So I get that they, they combined multiple characters into one actor, but it kind of yeah. makes sense that it's a bit weird. I actually watched a thing where they they were talking about this, and they decided that they liked Karaji so much that they just kept that character in the loop. Like they decided to make her a permanent part of the show, right? So right. they just kept giving her those jobs to do instead of bringing in new characters, basically. So, yeah, that makes sense. That I like her. She's awesome. She's amazing, yeah. One of my favorites and why it was so frustrating for me, this particular arc. That's fair, yeah. I get it. I still don't see that, but I think uh, I would love to, if I had, you know, infinite amounts of time to go back and re-watch everything that we've already watched so I could, you know, kind of get a better feel for it because I'm not, now I'm not sure, but that's what I, I still hold by that like i don't i don't think they totally deep sixed her i i saw it like you know when i mean take it from the from the point with the ring and she's like kind of really stepping into a larger command and leadership role on medina station and 
you know, kind of running things with um, Burnt Face Sea Captain <laughs> and Frosted Lucky you know, Charms. Like that, that's where I feel. That, that's why I'm trying to like delicious. ground what I'm saying a, a little bit more. You know, it's not just like an off the cuff thing. Um, like she was starting to get more uh, command and leadership there, and that kind of you know, I feel like it kept growing from there. So. By the time we get to here and she's commanding three ships and doing all this stuff, I feel like, you know, she's like kind of grown a little bit more and realizes she needs to be a little bit smarter. And it's you're not always like, you know, whip your knife out at the first sign of somebody spilling your coffee or whatever. You know what I mean? So that, that's where I, I was sort of come that. Holy shit. I can't speak. That is what helped me to get to the conclusion that I came to Ben and Chad. <laughs> Very concise. And we're back, Z105. <laughs> uh, I think we're out of I think we're out of agreement here, Kev. Uh, so if I said <laughs> Paris was the capital of France, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would. Okay, great. We're back in agreement then. <laughs> if I remember correctly, the whole drummer thing in terms of saving Holden, none of that shit happens, and it was all uh, excuse for an action sequence at the end of the season. Burn it. Burn the film. Burn the books. How dare they? No, it was good. Anyway, I do actually wish I had time to go back and rewatch it because I, now I really want to know if... Uh, no more. If the writing was that good and she was growing as a character or if she wasn't and Ben's right and I should just burn the whole thing down. I got. I kind of am riding on both of your motorcycles. I'm maybe my, like my final thought Whoa. there is... That's some stunt driving, Chad. Yeah, I'm doing a Van Damme split across two motorcycles. Whoa! The scenes in the in the kitchen where there's tons of tension in the polyamorous crew, and like the tension's broken a couple times, and a couple times arguments break out. I kind of liked the realism of how being cooped up. I mean, Jesus Christ, we've all been very cooped up this year, so anyone can resonate with the shit that comes out of that. But they're like, there's lots of tension, lots of, you know, stale air, and they're all frustrated with each other, and they're all frustrated with the situation, and she's just kind of, like, doing her best to keep her calm, but you can still see the rage, old-school drummer kind of bubbling under the surface. So I kind of feel like you're you're onto something there, Kev, with, with her growth. I don't know. I was like, it was interesting to see her with the various lovers, you know, like, mm. I, and see this sort of tender side of her. I liked seeing that, you know, in, in from that same perspective. Um and I also enjoyed just the interaction with the crew. It made the belters more human to me. Mm. Like I really enjoyed like them emoting in a positive way mm. because I feel like up until now, and this is like a quasi gripe, I guess, like they, it's just, they're all like bravado and like, you know, being shady and grifting and killing people and all this sort of thing. And it's like, we never really, we didn't really get to see a ton of that. And mm. so I really enjoyed seeing that interaction with the crew. They were very much like a family and I dug that. I mean, even outside the polyamorous, I hate that word. I situation, like the whole crew was like a family and that was cool. You know, um, I really dug that a lot, but I think that uh, I, I, it was good to get the, get some depth on the belters because I was just, I, I got to be honest with you. I was getting a little bit tired of the whole belter thing. Yeah, you mentioned a couple times that you were pretty frustrated. So it's cool that they kind of turned the corner for you a bit. I mentioned, what, in previous episodes? Yeah. Oh, I did. Oh, well, hello, old Kev. I'm current Kev. 
I don't know. I was getting fatigued on the Belter Creole thing too, man. I was like, eh, I don't know about this anymore. So there you go. I just threw a gripe down. What? You want to talk about that? Yeah. Anybody anybody feeling that or no? Anybody feeling any fatigue on that? Nah, I'm all right with it. I get it. It would be annoying having to fucking act it all day every day. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just an it's an interesting patois. I mean, I guess whatever. I don't know. I, I probably shouldn't say that. I mean, because it is well executed. And we did watch that video of the guy who cre- helped create the language. And it was like I, he put so much time and energy into it. It's like you can't knock that at all. You know, it, I think I it know. helps differentiate the. No doubt. The cultural frustrations between the groups, for sure. Where to next? Uh, it's your, it's your I pick, guess. Kev. I guess. Can I just say one more thing about that? I get. I guess part of it, too, was I got kind of tired of, like, uh, the dumb hick auto mechanic kind of vibe. You know, like, I want to, like, I don't know, just... There's, I feel like there should be or there's got to be more to the belters. I want to see more of that instead of like the I'm going to space you because you spilled my coffee. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm just fucking whatever. Just forget it. Move on. <laughs> it is good coffee out there if you ask Holden, you know. <sighs> oh, my God. Somebody needs to die. We have no deaths. I mean, Jesus. What is going on here? This coffee is terrific. <laughs> this coffee is terrific, Alex. <laughs> well, that's a segue. It goes with my new job as a DJ on Z105. That's got to be a segue into Holden then. He he kind of plays second fiddle in this season, so he'll be able to cover it pretty quickly. Yep. He was second fiddle. Uh, he was great. Love him. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> I You're right. I didn't really think about it that way. He was kind of second fiddling, and I... I I don't know. It was good. I liked it like that. And it, it doesn't mean that I don't like Holden. I love him. Like when I first, I, I, I groaned a lot at the very beginning, you know, of the very first season, but mm-hmm. uh, I really come to love all these characters and it doesn't mean that I don't love Holden. I just, it was great to see the focus on the other people for a minute, you yeah, know, yeah. but still getting like a really great uh, connection, you know, with him and Naomi and all that sort of stuff. So what did you think about the uh, Holden s- stuff in this one, buddy? Uh, I, I mean, second fiddle. I don't know that I'm feeling a second fiddle. Kind yeah, just of a thing. minor um, story, maybe. Maybe he was like the the skinniest thread out of all the threads. Maybe. Yeah, he didn't. Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, he he he's kind of in the middle of a bunch of shit that's going on. Um, I guess I, I guess I get what you're saying. It's sort of somehow in the background, but you know, I mean, he's there at the end. You know, the the. I guess the the big thread is like rescuing Naomi and you know he's certainly there for that so maybe Kev your comment about the focus being on the other characters is kind of where it's at where like it's not that he's not a focus but he's not the focus which I think was definitely the case with the first few episodes like you said and um I think you're right too Benny with him being in the center of some of these things in the end as well but particularly the Naomi stuff like I liked that he also has grown as a character. Like, clearly, a big part of this season was the growth of these characters, considering years have gone by. And I like that he, you know, doesn't rush off to help Naomi like he would have in any of the earlier seasons. He's kind of really come to terms with his uh, leadership and kind of maturity and stuff. So I, I appreciated that that little development of his arc. Mm-hmm. He's also in a situation where it's not just up to him, you know? Yeah. One of the strengths of this season in general is that 
they separated the crew and everybody had their own arc, as I said at the beginning. So I feel like this is, it's not so much that Holden is taking up a smaller role per se. It's just that everybody sort of has an equally important role in yeah. this season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It would seem in yeah. their own little story arcs, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it's interesting you should say that too, because one of the notes I took down was um, the structure of the season being everyone, uh, the structure of the season is essentially everyone's spread out and trying to find their way back home. And Holden is home. He's on the Resonante. So it, it makes sense that his his journey traveled is shorter because he's on the place that everyone else is trying to get back to. So similar, similar idea. He's keeping the home fires burning. <laughs> That's it. Keeping the coffee on the, the burner. Don't worry, guys. I'm keeping the coffee on the pot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like doesn't sound like him and yet does at the same time <laughs> it's, it's so funny dude yeah I have no idea what i'm going for there but yeah just keep keep going where you're going because it's funny as hell i just I, i'm picturing him like standing in front of the space sink scrubbing the the like lasagna out of the corners while like sipping on a coffee <laughs> kind of like getting a little choked up because all of his buddies are gone oh man I wish Alex was here to make some more lasagna. <laughs> or brownies, right, Benny? He made brownies last time. All edges brownies, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My new special all edges brownies. Just a super quick question uh, while we're on the Holden thread. What did you guys think of Bull? Oh, I was w- ready to spend an entire section on him because he's awesome. Jose Zuniga is great. And I love the character. Clearly, a uh, likely a new addition to the crew and uh i mean because yeah. now they don't have a pilot so I, i'd say I'd, that's a wrap yeah it's confirmed say that yeah i'd say that's a wrap yeah yeah <laughs> so i think uh i i loved i loved bull i thought he was great like in the beginning because i i watched like i said i watched uh one again after i finished it and you know he kind of comes in really hard in the beginning he's really by the book and he's like you know no more belt or grift and get your effing ship out of here. You've been taking up too much space. You're stealing, you know, all this sort of thing. And he becomes a great ally, you know. Um, I love how he just jumped right in and was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll go with you, you know. And then and then when Holden's like, um, let's burn every last bit of fuel and go in guns blazing and create a distraction so they can get in and get Naomi out. And he was like, fuck it, I'll do it for Fred. Let's go. Mm. Like, he was, he was great, man. I really liked him. He had, he had a gruff quality to him, uh, but he, you know, clearly like a, a well-developed character, you know, and half writing, half the actor, you know. Mm. Jose Zuniga has been in tons and tons and tons of stuff, TV shows and series and just movies. The guy's been all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's excellent. Um, and the character's great. I just have a lot of mixed feelings um, in regards to, you know, the Alex basically, um, which we won't get into just yet, but, um, that's, that's the only conflict that I feel, you know? Yes. Yeah, similarly. Um, it's interesting too, cause, uh, bull is drummer bull is paralyzed on Medina and bull sacrifices himself at the end of what would have been season three. So it's a completely different thing. Mm. And bull's seat in this particular season is filled by Fred. Fred is not assassinated and Fred goes with Holden. Um, no, that's and Fred eventually ends up uh, stroking out. So in terms of the Alex death, so it's just kind of an interesting swap around. 
Hmm. I really, uh, I wish Fred hadn't gotten assassinated. I, I love the character. I was really glad to see him back, like, see more of him again, you know? So it bummed mm. me out when he got greased. I kind of liked that he strokes out in, in the novels um, because it's such a rare thing for a main character or a major character to have a health issue instead of just, like, a glorious battle death. Um, but I understand how, like, having him assassinated here puts a pretty, you know, exclamation point on the whole situation and, and keeps things tight. So it, I agree it's unfortunate, but I get it, and I'm dead. Yeah, I like Fred Johnson. I, I do think that um, his death gave some gravity to that, that arc, though. You mm, know? Mm, yeah. Um, but it, it is a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, he was cool. You there, Cab, or did you eject or something? Yeah, no, no, I'm here. I just uh, just listening to the fan on my freaking laptop, wondering what <laughs> the fuck is going on, man. Okay, little buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, no, I'm listening. I don't. I don't really have anything else to say about Fred. I just it, he's a great character, man. I don't. He had a really cool, interesting backstory and like all that sort of thing. And I don't know, it just seemed a little somewhat unceremonious that he just got greased by a sniper like that. I don't know. I just liked him. I wanted to see more of him. You know, I was glad he was back. So on the, uh, on he, the f- he has an interesting role as a earther, as an inner. You know, running the Tycho station. You know, some cool stuff there. On the Fred tip a little bit, um, the proto molecule. I thought it was interesting, and I kind of hadn't picked up on the super obvious point that the proto molecule and the alien stuff is really like not a factor in this season, kind of whatsoever. It's a MacGuffin in terms of the protomolecule sample, but, like, it's the first time we've had a, uh, yeah. had a season that's not, like, aliens and shit. So it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. It's like the football. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean the football? It's, like, the thing that both teams are, you know, after, basically. Mm. Oh, right, right, right. I mean, look, I one of the things I wanted to talk about was that, that exact concept. So while I liked everything that they did in this season – I, you know, and I, like I said to Ben on the phone, I was like, oh, this is like great. It's like kind of a return to form. It's like we're jamming around the solar system doing all that stuff. But it's like at the same time, you can't like now you can't ignore the fact that the ring is there, right? We already spent like an entire season on a planet, right? The ring is a thing. So I was a little bummed that there wasn't more time spent on that. I mean, I I guess there's not enough time in the day money in the bank, um, all of that stuff to tell all of the story that they need to tell. I mean, clearly, you said this this season hugged the book really closely, so I, mm. I don't know what else they could have done, but I guess what I'm saying is that I was bummed that there, it almost felt like there was no focus on the ring, the aliens, you know, like, and, and now we're back to the proto-molecule. And I was like, wait a second, what? So, I don't know. From that perspective, I, I, I was kind of bummed about that, and Felt like we spent way too much time on Naomi being trapped and Marco and Noros, who I hate. <laughs> and I, I do. And I, so I, I, what I'm saying is conflicting because I understand why they did everything that they did. And I understand like the way they needed, they needed the story to play out the way that it did. And that's fine. I just, it, you know, my, my sort of self-conflicted view is that, you know, there wasn't any time spent on like the ring or any of that stuff, like at all, like they barely even touched it. You Just know? at the very end. Yeah. But, you know, again, like there's so much content already there. I mean, like the whole thing with the rocks and Avicerala, basically, I never saw that coming in a million years, her coming back and being 
in charge of everything again. I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should touch Love on that. that. Um, touch me, I'm dick. <laughs> we are huge in Belgium. Go ahead. <laughs> the, yeah, we probably are. The um, Bigger than we are here. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> the... The I'm getting a the go yeah ahead. I'm I'm, that. I'm, yep. I'm tired are we are we moving on to Abasarala here no I wanted to touch on the proto are you did you want to touch on the proto molecule stuff no <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't fucking love when you do that I mean to be honest man the we're, we're all bitching about them being going through the ring and and just being on a planet through the entire last season now they're back. In, on the home turf, which I think is the and more interesting. And I'm not happy about that either. <laughs> no, that, well, I'm happy about it. It sounds like you guys aren't. That's no, I'm, I'm fine with it. I was more making an observation that I hadn't considered before. I, I think, like, it was the right move. You know, the first three seasons sets the whole thing up. The fourth season seems to be a bit of a palate cleanser, you know? And then it's this season is setting up for the remainder of the story, which I, you know, we can get to this as well later. And I, di- I didn't realize they were stopping after next season because there's going to be nine books. So they knew from the get go they were only going to get a max of a sixth season out of Amazon. But um, yeah, I feel like the season's, you know, getting back to form and setting up for the kind of climax of the story. So um, it didn't bother me at all. And I like that it was character driven instead of proto molecule driven. So it didn't, yeah, it didn't bother me at all. I agree. I think I, I'm, to try to be clear, both things were real for me. Like I loved the season and I loved that it was like back in the solar system, but you know, it's like, you can't deny like all of this stuff has happened with the ring. It's like to really not even mention it is like, mm. I don't know. It seemed a little weird, I guess, is probably the better way to say it. Not that I didn't like it or it bothered me, but that I just found it a little odd, you know, that it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to talk about that at all because that was, like, pretty major, man. We got some weird alien tech just messing everything up, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, clearly they're going to go back there, you know, which is fine. And we, we got a taste of that at the end. And I, I just thought it was odd. That's all. In a, in a way, it's kind of fitting that uh, humanity encounters multiple alien civilizations and uh, 1,300 wormholes, and instead they just start beating the shit out of each other. It, it, it very much fits with my understanding of humanity now. So, <laughs> Yeah, no. I th- this is what, we were just talking about this in Endymion the, in a couple of weeks ago. You know? It's just yeah. like, here we all are in the future, and we're still just the same bunch of jackasses. You know, Nobody's evolving at all, you know? Yeah, which is a decent uh, segue into the Avasarala thread with all of the UN stuff, so maybe it is a good time. That's why we call you Segway, bro. Hey, talk to me. Talk to me about Avasarala. I love her. She's great. She's awesome. I wish I could do an impression of her. She's got such a great voice. Dude, the best. She smoked like 400 packs a day, I reckon. You know she did or does. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but my voice isn't deep enough. <laughs> Dude, you got the deepest voice out of all of us. I want to get Diane Reem to play her. I'd have to smoke a pack of cigarettes and then wake up way too early and, you know, just have that, like, that, that fucked up voice box going on in order to even try to approximate it. Yeah, it's like it's like breathy and slightly raspy and deep and then there's the accent like it's uh it's such a great voice she's awesome she's awesome she's a badass character i love i love her so much she's just so she doesn't swear as much as i would like she swears like 40 times more in the books but uh 
She's great. Mm. I like how I'll tell you what her killer combo is, man. Is that she's such a straight, um, she's such a straight shooter, not afraid to say what she thinks, but there's so much great passion and so much great empathy behind her, you know, and that's really what I think drives the other part of her personality. Like she's really cares about what happens to all of these people. And it's evident when she's talking about her husband who she lost, which was a bummer because he was a small character, but he was a great character and I really enjoyed him. And also how she was kind of seeing through the veil of like, you know, Marcos Anaros, like destroying everybody and getting everybody fighting each other and, you know, kind of being like, yo, unity bitches. Mm. We need unity. You know, so uh, I really, that's what I like about her. She's great like that. Yeah. And I, and I love that she came back into power. Like I said, didn't see that coming at all and uh, really dug it. Did you go yet, Benny? Uh, no, not not as such. Uh, just remarking on the voice. What did you think of her coming back into power and stuff? Did you see, did you see it coming? Uh, I definitely didn't put it past her. Um, I think it was interesting that, you know, she didn't, um, she got there the right way this time. You know, yeah, she got there by having a strong moral compass and making the right decisions and leading by example. And everybody followed that example, you know, mm-hmm. um, basically by standing up and saying, like, no, this isn't right. I can't be a part of this. I'm, I'm leaving when they wanted to uh, attack the belters in, in the past. She might have been a little more uh, up to make a power grab or, you know, do something along, you know, some kind of maybe a little bit shady political sort of maneuvers to uh, get her power back and she really went about it uh the right way this time i think um well said benny it's interesting to see that she uh, i feel like like uh, i can't think of the name of her husband but uh, uh arjun arjun i think it's interesting that she it seems like he was sort of like her anchor and yeah sort of helped keep her grounded and i thought it was interesting to see her with all of this stuff on her plate, dealing with that and dealing with what happened to the planet and really just like bringing it, you know, really just totally bringing it, you know, it's, it was really satisfying arc and it was really satisfying to see her, uh, you know, maneuver in these ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting point that you made about her moral compass and the way she navigated her way. Um, unintentionally into power is really interesting because it is another difference between the novel where um, she's on Luna and the asteroids hit and everyone's dead and now she's the boss. So she just kind of gets it by default. So um, I hadn't Mm. really considered your point until you made it and I think it really does quite a service to the character. So I didn't really have a gripe about it. It just was a difference. And I like, I, mm-hmm. I, I, def, I, I definitely find myself agreeing with that point of it's great that she didn't have to snake her way into it. Not to say that she was bad before, but she's a politician. Yeah, you know, she's and, a political and animal. Doing, yeah. maneuvering in those, uh, with those tools and maneuvering in those ways, whereas this time it was less about politics and more just about her leadership, you know, humanity. Her, yeah. her instincts for humanity. So. Yeah, very good stuff there. Yeah, definitely. Well said, Benny. And Shora Agdashlu is just awesome. She's <laughs> she's so great. God, she's just kick ass, man. Oh, the she's, whole thing. I, I, she's like a pillar funny, of the show. Man. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was bitching about her in the beginning, and I was like, I found her annoying. I think I did, but um, I just have come to love her, man. The actress and the character. She's just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, 
Can we talk about Marco De Naros and? <laughs> he seems so so pumped on it. <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah, man, let's do it. Most annoying character ever in the annals of this show and all of the various villains and characters that we've talked about over low these few years. Uh, I cannot wait to see this guy get his because I cannot stand him. He is so annoying. And kudos to the actor for making him so annoying and the writing for making him so annoying because I just want to put a fork in his eye. I don't know. I can't stand him. He's just obnoxious and all of his proselytizing and, you know, so into himself and, like, really sad to see the kid just freaking drink the Kool-Aid and go down that road with him. Watching the kid go down that road uh, was really upsetting. And I, But at the same time, I, I liked... Uh, there was a couple things I, I loved about Philip was that, like, he actually looks like he could be their kid. Yeah, right? totally, totally. Like, I mean, he was... Like, they found the most genetically perfectly sort of mixed between those two people actor to to play that part. I was really kind of blown away by that. And, and he did a good job. And he did a great job. And yeah. he did a really good job of conveying the conflict, mm. you know, and kind of going back and forth between being conflicted and then being like, I want to be like my dad. I'm going to blow shit up. You know, and I, I think he did a good job, man. Mm, you know, the a kid great was great. Layer of immaturity in there too. Totally, dude. Nice call. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, Marco. I kind of said it all. If I never see him again in this show, I would be so happy. <laughs> It'll be too So aggravated when I see him. It's so <laughs> annoying. And I think, like, I don't know. It's I, I get. Uh, I, I don't know. This is one of those like kind of not enough time in the day comments where it's like, I understand everything that they did in this season and I guess thusly the book as well, but it's like, you know, why do we have to spend so much time on him? But it's like, I get why, you know, it's an important story point. Yeah. It helps flesh Naomi out in terms of seeing her, her history. And it turns out the abuse that, she, you know, that relationship caused her and whatnot is it helps, it helps flesh out her um, history a bit. So, at least yeah, it's no, not no, just no, no. some rando fuckhead, you know? No, no, it was definitely not rando fuckhead. I mean, it was. there's a lot of reasons why he's there, like fleshing out the Naomi part, like, you know, the dynamic with the kid, like him just taking the whole, like, we've been beaten up for years, now it's time for revenge, you know, which is ironic because as he was ramping that up at the end of last season, they, you know, the Belters kind of stepped up and established themselves more and became more of their own entity, you know, stood up for their set, their, their selves more, I feel like. So it was kind of interesting how at the same time that was happening, we, we start getting the Marcos thing coming at the end of season four and how, you know, instead of diplomacy, I'm just going to get a bunch of big rocks and throw them in your house, throw them through your, <laughs> throw a bunch of boulders through your house, man. And we'll see what happens then. You know, so it, and it added another interesting dynamic, like the Martians, clearly some Martians kind of getting in league with him uh, adds an interesting dynamic. Like I one of the things that I found very interesting from four and this season was just how Martian society just completely changed and like is sort of not disintegrating, but reconfiguring man in the, in the face of like the rings being there. Cause they're like, Oh, we can just go get our own brand new planet. Now we don't need this crappy old planet. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway. What so. about you, Benny? Are you a uh, push Marco out an airlock kind of guy, or where, where did you fall on that one? <laughs> Airlock's too good for him. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Agree. <laughs> yes. It's uh, it's the other arc that uh, frustrated the living shit out of me, watching it unfold and watching everything that poor Naomi went through and kind of wondering how she was managing to stick it out because it didn't seem like there was a lot of payoff going on in terms of, you know, I I understand nobody could ever turn their back on their kid, but you know, the fact that he just kept falling for, uh, for his dad's bullshit was really frustrating to watch. Yeah. And I get it. They did a really good job, but Keon, Keon Alexander was great. Just, he's just, Really, that's it, hard. I can't imagine that it's easy to play somebody so unlikable. Um, and he does a fantastic job. And the writing was really good in terms of, you know, almost in some light, in some places in the story, making you see like the, the power of his, uh, you know, charisma and 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 almost has you drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit if it weren't for the fact that you know that he's so fucking manipulative. Yeah, yeah. And evil. And, and the vicious, whole just the yeah. whole plot of like sending asteroids at the earth is like cutting off your nose to spite your face. It's like the, this is you're gonna starve the fucking solar system, you idiot, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and just moving ahead with that plan, you know, <clears throat> sort of on your own and and forcing all these people, forcing everybody's hand, including you know, to a certain extent, drummer's hand. Yeah, it was a really frustrating arc to watch. It was really frustrating watching Naomi go through all of that. And it was really frustrating that it was really frustrating that Philip kept falling for Marco's bullshit, you know, that he just kept like allowing himself to be manipulated that way. Yeah. Um, It was tough because you could see that like, you know, he almost saw the light, like he almost got there. Almost. Yeah. And then, just through basically being insulted and put down by his dad, he fell right back into line. Yeah. Like, wow, you're weak. Yeah. You know? It definitely... Yeah, he definitely knows how to push people's buttons, for sure. Yeah, it definitely kind of, in my view, perfectly encapsulated the immaturity, you know, in terms of, like, I don't know, it's like, now that I'm a bit older, looking back on my teenage self, I'm just like, oh, God, I was such an idiot, you know, and... And it's like, no, but he's loved like this love. And it's like, dude, you're 15. Like, you you don't, you know, (laughs) you know, like, or your parents being like, don't smoke. It's stupid. You're like, fuck you. I'm going to smoke. You know, like all of these things that you do that are just so dumb. And, and, uh, your mom is trying to tell you in this case, like your dad's manipulative and he did the same thing to me. And you're like, no, he loves me. You know, it's just such Mm. a great way to, you know, play off that immaturity thing. I feel like Philip never has never had a chance to think things through for himself. Mm, really. Yeah. You know, um, Agreed. he's always been told what to think and how to act. And, you know, mm. well, I can't imagine it's easy to break that kind of conditioning. You yeah. Know? And they touch on that. There's like a, some some kind of roundtable discussions in the extras. I don't know if you guys saw that, but no, no it was nothing earth shattering. But um, they touched on that a little bit where um, Dominique Tipper is sitting with. Uh, Keon Alexander and they're talking about things where yes f- where Philip um I just forgot his name where Philip you might have cut out for a nah, second yeah go ahead where Philip had only ever been told um 
the history from the dad's perspective. And so when, you know, he's told that his mother's weak and his mother abandoned him and his mother sucks and his mother is just a piece of shit and she's super weak and she's super weak. And then she shows up and it turns out, you know, he hears about um, Medina Station from Drummer and he's like, I'd really like to hear that story. Like he's actually hearing that his mother isn't weak and so he starts to maybe question his father's stories and his qu- question his father's uh, what he's told him. It was just kind of an interesting piece of uh, of nuance that is missed from the watching of it, but was interesting to hear the two of them talk about their characters. And it makes a lot more sense as to why Philip kind of turns a little bit towards her, you know, because he's obviously you'd be curious. He'd be like, well, I've only ever heard one half of this and I'm supposed to hate you. But like, I, I kind of don't, you know, so it was a cool dynamic, even though it was definitely drawn out. Yeah, man, was it drawn out? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what did you guys think of the uh, of the spacewalk of her going into vacuum? How plausible did you find that? We've seen this before on this show, and uh, my response is that is that we've seen it before. So when did we see it before? I don't know. This show honestly has made me change like how I think about that stuff because one thing I was thinking about the other day was that I that I like is that there's there's a nonchalance about is that a word? Yep. <laughs> about what they <laughs> that's a there's nonchalance about the way they go about their business in this world right in this microcosm this universe right so you know spacewalking and using the mag boots and like all that stuff it's just it's it's very second nature to everybody and i love that so it's not made a big deal of you know and for somebody to just like jump from a ship uh, and glide over to the next one with a suit on, you know, they, they don't make a big deal out of it. And I like that because I think that after all of that time of flying in ships and walking in space and all that stuff, you would have that kind of attitude. Just like, you know, you would be raking your lawn or working on your house. Like uh, maybe a weird analogy, but I, I think you maybe get what I'm saying, no, yeah, you know? Yeah. So it is your backyard. Like I, and they they did. There was a couple. There was one or two sequences I remember. I don't remember them specific, specifically, but where people were in space with no suit of any kind for like a couple of seconds, and they were fine. And this was definitely way more than a couple of seconds, but I I didn't find it that unplausible. I mm. mean, my understanding is like if you hold your breath, you're all right. It's if you don't. Like that's where the decompression comes in, and I, I don't know. I mean, what the hell do I know? I'm not. I'm. I, I'm only a prehistoric biologist and a uh, astrophysicist. astrophysicist. <laughs> I this is not my area of expertise. Fair, fair, fair. Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> Benny, plausibility of it. This is something that like movies apparently had been getting wrong for a long time, um, and now they're getting closer to reality. Um, not that I am a physicist or uh, you know any any such thing, but. You know, the uh, the idea of like, uh, you know, like the total recall, like tumbling out of your glass bubble and like, you know, your eyeballs popping out and like, you know, your face swelling and all that stuff is is not really. Uh, Which was the best. Is, is not what happens. And apparently it is true that, you know, you could survive a short, you know, journey outside, although you would you know, have frostbite and all these kinds of you know issues going on so it's plausible i guess um that she you know for for dramatic purposes they they kind of played that scene out for sure and you know she brings like uh i don't know i guess like adrenaline or something with her to to inject like as she's right you know takes as much as she can take and is about to pass out and is that what that was 
bit of a Mia Wallace situation. Yeah. I thought it was, I couldn't tell what it was. First, I thought it was the detonator for the ship. And I was like, oh, she took it. So then she's good. And then I was like, well, maybe it's like a some sort of. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, I may have imagined it, but she. Oh, please. <laughs> You're going to love this. Please continue on. I was like, is that some kind of rocket pen of some kind? <laughs> maybe with like. <laughs> a fucking rocket pen? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but like sometimes my mind goes to like sort of the dumbest places. Like, you uh, know, yeah, like yep. Lucy, K, Lucy K had a bit like that, you know, where he talked about how, <laughs> you know, the, he sees the little, the little old Asian woman and he thinks that. That's the kid with the two people. <laughs> like, you know, right. it's the same kind of stupid thing. I was like, hmm, maybe that's like a rocket pen to help propel her across this vastness of space. So <laughs> she makes it into the ship. I love it. Nope. Just some just some meds or something. <laughs> Is there, it was a, her EpiPen. She got stung by a space bee. Yeah, I was gonna say it was a tube of spree, you know. Ooh. <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> It was some Mento she's going to mix with her Pepsi and propel herself to the other ship. Is that a death? That's a death. Uh, Mentos and Pepsi, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You either ejected to look up old Spree commercials and blew my joke for me, or that was a death. Uh, Well, I I think it's kind of a double death, because I, I, full disclosure, I I was looking at Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fuck you very much. I was not looking up Spree, but I was was looking... I was reading about Jose Zunica, so. Okay. Well, go fuck yourself. Fuck you very much, Kev. Thanks for that. So either I get a double death or you get a death and I get two or. You, you killed me. It was, a, it was yeah, it was one of those deaths. You killed me right, through your apathy right, so. towards uh, the show that you're supposed to participate in. <laughs> that old chestnut. It's been a while, to be fair. No, it has. You're right. All right, so I'm going to – I got – You're going to close your Wikipedia window and join join the class. Join the show. We still got time left. Wow, we, no deaths. And then in the one fell swoop, we had like the ultimate sort of uh, death blossom. Yeah. You get any other threads you want to cover, Benny? No. Proceed. Sir. All right, so let's talk about um, Naomi on the ship for a second. She was on a ship. And then she got rescued. She was on a ship. The end. Good job. Next topic. <laughs> that would uh, that would have been a tough uh, tough scene to do as an actor, man. Just by yourself, pretending Ooh. to have had a hard vacuum experience for ever and ever and ever. It was. You definitely got the how beat the hell up she was. That came. That was very clear, and that was great. Mm. You know, mm. the shriek that comes out out of her when she like regains consciousness is just. Mm. Got to really give it up to uh, chilling friend of the show, Dominique Tipper here, because she fucking brought it. She killed it, man. All the way through. <laughs> Agreed, man. All the way through. But especially through the, the ship sequence, that whole part was just whew, intense. Yeah, really intense. It was nerve wracking, too, because I was always like, man, I, I at times I was like, oh, this thing could just blow up at any second. And then I realized I was like, no, it's a trap. They're going to blow it when everybody gets there. But. Still, it was just very anxiety-inducing, you know? Mm. Yeah, and her, you know, her <clears throat> going into the unpressurized part of the ship to, like, manipulate the signal, and she's, like, pushing it further and further, and, like, you know, it kept worrying that she was going to, like, pass out and not make Same. it back, you know? So like, please don't let her die like that, you know? Mm. That would have been lame, yeah. 
Yeah. No, it was really intense. I mean, she had to talk about doing some heavy lifting, man. I mean, just kind of, kind of expounding on what Benny said, like it's for her period, this season, just a lot of heavy lifting, like doing, you know, really connecting with, like, I I don't know if she's an actual mom or not, you know, but you know, as an actor, you draw an experience, uh, oftentimes and well, there's a lot of ways to approach it, but that's one way to do it. And, you know, if she's not a parent, she, she did well because you know, she really had to inhabit that whole space and, and kind of deal with that angle. And then the whole thing with the ship, like a lot going on there, man, a lot going on there. So kudos to her. Yeah. I definitely got a, um, this is for you, Benny Heath Ledger Joker vibe as a Batman death in the sense that like, um, prior to Heath Ledger passing away and nothing to do with his death based on my understanding of things, he had to go to a very dark place for the Joker. And I, I feel like similarly, she seems to have had to go to a very dark place to, you know, spend an entire season getting the shit kicked out of her by this crazy narcissist and, you know, smash up against her son who isn't overly interested. And then to have to go through this like Tom fucking Hanks castaway moment on the ship, like that would have been just such a ton of just brutal acting. It's super impressive. I concur wholeheartedly, man. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I definitely, um, maybe this will segue us nicely into uh, the next thread. But, uh, you know, after she jumps out of the ship and she's just like tumbling through space and we're not sure what's going to happen. She's not sure what's going to happen. Like when Bobby catches her, that whole scene was like super, like hit me in the feels. It was super oh, man. emotionally yes. intense. And, you know, the fact that she is just, um, the way they shot it, you know, like you can sort of hear Bobby talking through the helmet and she's behind her and like just everything that's basically just, uh, you know, Dominique Tipper's face really is, is all you have there, you know, like just, just getting the, the oxygen back and just, you know, and, and just sobbing there in, in her, in her suit, like, God, it was just so intense, just really, but really powerful moment in television. Mm, definitely. You could not have said that better. And that was probably the best sequence in the entire se- season. It was so good. I felt the same way. I watched that last night and I was just blown away. Like it was the perfect way to shoot it. Close ups literally stuck on the side of her helmet. Yeah. Seeing her face. And then the background being blurred, so you can't really tell what's going on. Like it, it so brought you there with her that that disorientation, yeah. you know. Yes. And yet, hearing the 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 friendly voice muffled, you know, like it's like you kind of you're so disoriented, and you're you're safe now, and you know your friend is there. Like it was perfect. It was so perfect. Mm. Yeah. It, so it well really, executed. It really put you in there with her, you know. Oh like, my God. In the way. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's just like, uh, you know, hearing that familiar, hearing Bobby's voice through the helmet, you know, not, not being able to tell what she's saying, but, but hearing her through the helmet and just reacting to that, just knowing that your friend has found you and you're, you're going to be okay. Like, man, it was just so, yeah, it was really powerful. Yeah. And, and then couple that with, uh, I'm going to go ahead and segue in the, the Alex death, like just, was like the perfect one-two punch because you. I, I actually had to rewind it because I didn't get what happened straight away. Like I, I was so captivated by that part, right? With uh, Dominic, I mean, uh, whatever Naomi and Bobby and Alex is like, you know, bring her on in. It's it's been quite a ride, and you're like, 
yep, okay, whatever, like, got it. And then, you know, she's like, Alex, can you open the door? And you're just like, wait, what? Mm. No! No! Betty! No! You know, terrible. Yeah. I didn't, um, I didn't touch on this a minute ago when I asked you guys touch. about this spacewalk uh, in terms of its plausibility. I asked you because... Um, I was worried that the show wouldn't have sold it as plausible, and I'm glad that it did because, um, yeah, I was just curious your interpretations. And similarly here with Naomi jumping out and getting saved, I was curious if the show sold it as plausible because it's such a powerful moment. And I was curious if my awareness of the book context would have made it more plausible or not. So I'm glad that you guys had that reaction. And, um, yeah, I agree. It was, I hadn't really considered how it was shot, but now that you guys mentioned it, like it was a perfect way to do it. Cause if, if I remember correctly, they're face to face, helmet to helmet in, in the novel where Bobby, like, oh, in the book, okay. clinks, yep. it clinks up and there's no, there's no radio. So it would have been the same vocal, like coming through the suit itself, you know, coming through the, the glass or whatever. But um, I like that she's coming from behind here. I think it makes it much more, yeah, like you said, emotional and focusing on Dominique's face is just great. Yeah, that's what's so great about it. You can't tell where she is, and it's everything's so blurry. You can't even tell if she's like outside. I was like, is that like blurred space in the background? Is that what yeah, is that? Yeah. You know, like that's what was great about it because it kept the locus right on Naomi's face and her mm. reactions, and that's what made it just brilliant AF. Mm, yeah, no, they did a great job. The Alex death thing, I was surprised for a moment, but um, yeah, Alex doesn't die in the books, so. But he's dead here. Yeah, I don't think there's a ton of value in getting into the details of, of what went on with Cass Anvar. If people are interested, they could look it up, but uh, the the character death of Alex doesn't really happen and, and um, in the in the novels, and it's a shame that uh, real-life shitty scenarios influenced the show in the way that it did, but it's completely understandable. So, I, I mean, it was a, a surprise to me at the time when he died, and then, like, three seconds later, I was like, oh, of course, I get it. Did it surprise you that the character died? Uh, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, what? But at the same time, on a show like, like, we've talked about this on, like, really quality shows and movies, like you know, you kill off main characters. Man. Yeah. Like that drives the story forward. You want to feel that loss. Yeah, like I yeah. loved Alex, man. It's like, I want to be, I want to be bummed out that he's gone, dude. You know, yeah. like it's hard to, for the shitty reasons, but yeah. Well, I just putting that aside for a second, like you, you want to be wanting for more, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So you got a loved character and that character, you know, gets, uh, axed in the story. It's like, so be it, you know? Yeah. And it's totally plausible, the stroke out. It's totally plausible. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how Fred And it's almost does. like he knew it was coming because of the way he says that last line. Man, it's been a long ride, you know? And it's like, boom. Yeah, yeah. The, um, Very cool. Um, fuck, I had a thought there. Nah, that's a shame. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's... Nuggets, Death's ratings. Y'all got nuggets? I have one. No, oh, I was going to steal it, but you go. You're going to steal it? Then no, go ahead. No, no, I don't do want to I'm not falling it. into that trap. No, no. Go, go, go. I, I hope no, it's no, not no. the nugget I was going to snipe. I, I hope – I it probably isn't. So go ahead. Since you probably have like 10 nuggets, I have none. No, no. I don't want to steal your nugget. Oh, insi- Dude, you're my buddy. I love you, man. Just I, I want you to go <laughs> first. Go ahead. Thomas Jane nugget? <laughs> yes. 
I got, uh, that's it. He directed episode three. That was it. Yeah, it's a good one. thought that was cool. Definitely. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It's a shame he's not on the show anymore. I know. It really is. Uh, I really was stoked uh, to see him in this this production in the beginning. I was a little, I was a little skeptical, you know, um, based on some of the other things that he's been in <clears throat> that really were probably poor casting choices more than anything else um, on the part of other people. But, um, yeah. It was it was cool. I literally just saw that, so uh, that's very cool. What else you got? Yeah, I, Benny, you did an awesome job of pronouncing Avrasarala's actual name. What is it? Shora Agadashlu. Shora Shora Agadashlu, I believe. There you go. I, I may be getting it wrong, but I love it. I love it. That's great. I mean, no disrespect. I am. It's a tough one. Um, she mentions Thomas Jane directing the episode because she, you know, plays in it a bit, and um, she was super funny talking about how like pumped he was, and he would just be like behind the camera acting out the scene that she was acting out. You know, he'd be like super excited, and and she'd just be like, "Dude, I'm working here. Can you calm the fuck down?" So I, I like the idea of him kind of spazzing out directing the episode. It's, it's quite funny. Yeah, that was no, that's really cool. Um, I got one other nugget. Um, that's not that one where. Naren Shankar, who is uh, the showrunner, mentioned in the end, like one of the last sequences with uh, Naomi and Holden in the med bay, where she plays the message that she um, said for him to read in case of an issue. And he said to her that he didn't read it. It turns out that his um, his wife had cancer and was in the hospital. Um, she didn't die. She she recovered. But um, his wife was like, hey, can you go home and grab my computer? I forgot and I forgot something that I need on it. And when he um, when he got there, he found a note that was saying, like, if this doesn't go well, read this. And he couldn't bring himself to read it. So it was, it was like pulled from his life, which was really interesting. Wow. Very cool. That's a nice nugget. Yeah. There aren't many other nuggets out there about this one, but I like that one. And that's it. On to the deaths. That's your department, bro. You know what? It's a right, it's really fun. I was bitching about how there were no deaths, and then in like one two-minute span, we all got massacred. Mm, not a bad so thing. I ejected on I ejected on Jose Zuniga. And in doing that, I ruined Chad's joke. So that's two deaths for me. My Mentos joke. The Mentos and Pepsi joke, mm. which was funny. And um, I also killed C-Lab in the process of all of that, which I, I'm sad about. And then Chad um, killed Ben with a Batman reference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a uh, MDK, murder, death, kill. There was an asteroid impact in the hills of Valverde. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But we were deep in our underground bunker, right? That's right. Nothing can touch us there. Kind of like the prison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, ratings. I'm going to give this a 10. Yeah, it's a letter grade, bro. <laughs> I I hope I that just, you were joking there. Please tell me you were joking. I was. Okay. I was joking. <laughs> I had to. But I, I full disclosure, I, I had to think about it for a half a second a few minutes ago. Okay. I was like, oh, okay. wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm going to just give it a – I've already extolled the virtues of the show and my gripes. Despite my gripes, I still give the show an A. It's great. Yeah? It's cool. fantastic. And, and, and actually, the fact that you said that this is, quote, under-budgeted makes it even better because they made a phenomenal season of television with less money. Mm. Awesome. Cool. Benny? Yeah, I would say uh, as frustrated frustrated as I was with some parts of this, I have to give it an A because they really pulled it together with a beautiful emotional ending. And uh, 
I don't know if it made it. <laughs> I don't know if it made those frustrating. If it was a good, good enough payoff for those frustrating parts for me, but uh, it was damn good. Sweet. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm in a similar boat. Um, I didn't give it an A, but I gave it a B. Uh, I gave last season a B. <laughs> It's definitely better than the early seasons, uh, and I enjoyed this one, and it was cool. And I, yeah, I think the budget thing for me is um, why I didn't give it an A. Like, I, it's not their fault that they didn't have the money, but I, um, yeah, I just uh, wish they had more money. <laughs> it's not as good as The Mandalorian, like, fucking full stop, so I can't give it the same grade. I'm with you. Uh, that's an interesting debate right there for another time. Oh, I mean, you know, it, it just circles I think it's back as good to as Mando. It circles back to where um, you know, I rate things against each other and you guys tend to rate them on an individual level. So it's just a different uh, approach, but it's still it's worth checking out. I am glad that uh I'm glad that the series has been improving over time. A lot of series fall down over time, so. Um, I'm going to go against for the folks at home. I'm going to go against what Chad is saying. I this is not worth checking out. This is it, it's a must-watch. Like this is in the top echelons of stuff that's being put out there it, it's certainly for science fiction tv like this is phenomenal it's so good mm. so chad have, it's chad have you watched a lot of sci-fi tell sorry yeah i thought you were done uh no that's it i mean mando is great this is great too you know like watchmen like all through all those things are fantastic you should be watching them all all of you people do it do it now like what, Benny? What I mean, I've watched Firefly. Have, have you watched a lot of sci-fi television, like in the past? I have never connected deeply to a lot of sci-fi television. I've watched uh, most of the Star Treks. I've watched BSG. I've watched um, Firefly. What else would there be that, that I can't think of? Oh, I don't know, like Fire, uh, Farscape, or yeah, uh, you're you're naming off. You know the right kinds of things. I just I don't know if I ever watched Farscape, but I I've kind of had the, have had the same reaction to a lot of them. Where like I don't know. I I just um, generally speaking, I find that I have the ability to to fall into a, a movie and not let the bullshit get in the way of me experiencing the movie. But I find it harder with TV, and I think it's a production value thing. Um. But uh, yeah, I haven't spent too much time thinking about it. But that makes sense because my thinking is that um, you know the Expanse is kind of like a, a legacy sci-fi TV show. Mm, you know, yeah. it is. Yeah, it is in keeping with the production values of all of its predecessors. Where something like The Mandalorian is just—it's fucking—it's so far beyond. Like it's totally. You different. know, you're talking. Yeah. You're talking like better than some movie productions. I mean. There's a whole new technology invented there to to facilitate the show, yeah, and it's yeah. it's incredible. So I don't know that it's even fair to like <laughs> make a comparison there. But no, um, you're right. But I think that's I, uh, okay. That, that sort of confirms, like, you know, you, you definitely understand the the like what the legacy sci-fi show is about. I do, and yeah. Budgetary and constraints and sort of what that ends up meaning for the show. Yeah, and I think we've touched on it a, a little bit here and there throughout our episodes where TV back in the day, major actors didn't do it often because of, you know, status reasons, whatever, whatever. And it's, you know, all about movies, all about movies for a long time. And then now TV is becoming kind of even more important than a lot of movies in a lot of ways. So may, maybe in like the terms of the three different eras of uh, visual media, 
Um, I have always had a harder time connecting to TV than um, movies. And now that TV is getting better than movies, I'm, I'm connecting with it. So it's, I think it's more of a taste thing. So it's really, yeah, it shouldn't reflect on the show. Yeah, I'm with you, Ben. This is like the production values are so good on these TV shows. They're better than movies. They're as good as movies. A lot of like, times, they're, yeah. there's they're, that those lines are gone now. Like, I mean, TV is where it's at now. It's not movies. This has been going on for a while. Yeah. I mean, it's long form. Certainly in certainly in the um, in the actory circles, you know, like that's what we all talked about. You know, all the best works on TV right now. There's a lot of money there too. You know, you can get recurring. There is yeah. recurring pay as an actor and. From a creator standpoint, it's long format, so it's yeah, it's that's what I'm yeah digging. Also, Ben uh, Stargate that was another major franchise on TV, dude. Yeah, that that was one I meant to bring up, but it it uh, was stammering, so nothing new. Away. Yeah, I didn't really get into Stargate. I, I liked the movie, so I couldn't really get into the TV show. You mm. know, and the TV show clearly was better. You know, and uh, what was that other one too? Sequest. <laughs> Sequest is one I got into for a while. Oh boy. Ooh, I was super into Sequest, dude. I loved Roy it. Roy Scheider? Totally, yeah. Yeah, Jonathan Brandis and a fucking talking dolphin. The talking to do- oh yeah. Right. Totally, man. Was the deep in that? Whoa. Hey. Wait, whoa. C Lab <laughs> was into was into Sequest? Yeah, of course I was into Sequest. <laughs> of course you are. It's like your thing, man. That was a really good show. I also um just kind of going back, like, you know, I was into Space 1999 with Martin Landau when I was a kid. Like, I didn't know what the Ooh. hell I was watching, but it looked super cool. And I just found it on Amazon, you know, and original BSG, uh, Galactica 80. Yeah, shit, even Buck Rogers. Buck, totally, man. Buck was amazing. And um, Yeah, all that's that before that, my uh, time in terms of I just never, I never was exposed to it. Street Hawk, uh, it was a digital guy called like uh i don't know cursor man or something like that at one point auto man <laughs> auto man, auto man. <laughs> cursor man there you go auto man yeah auto man was great and then you had like uh what else is good uh v obviously the 80s was fantastic uh earth 2 that was great that was like a 90s sort of like you know marooned in the desert quote unquote kind of show that was what was your was alien cop show what was that one again Oh, uh, Alien Nation. That Alien was Nation. huge. I remember huge that Huge franchise, man. That actually did better as a TV show than a movie. George Francisco. Ah, and uh, our buddy from RoboJocks was the, uh, was the cop in that. Oh, yeah. That's right. Gary Graham. What's up, blood? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that's, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I still think, like, you know, circling it back, putting a bow on it, I guess, like, this is, like I get, I get what you're saying, Chad. You know, it's not mm. a strong case could be made. Yeah, it's not as good as Mando, but the 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 gap there is real short, dude. Like millimeters short. Like Mando is excellent, great production values, the whole thing. But the show is right there with it, man. You know, like I, I you know, just to throw one more thing into the mix. Like one thing that I love about the Expanse that you know, I kept noticing and making mental notes. It was just the sound design in the show. You know, it's so good, man. I, I love that sound of those ship engines rippling by, you know, that sort of crispy rippling sound when those engines are, are going by on the screen, man. It's fantastic, especially the Rosinante, you know? Yeah, totally. Really, really cool. So anyway. Um, all right, the so Epstein what do we got going drive. on? Next? What's that? The Epstein drive. Hey, did oh, you guys know Epstein that the Epstein drive, drive didn't Which kill itself? Wait, what? what? 
<laughs> it's game off, but the uh, the Epstein drive didn't kill itself. Uh huh. <laughs> I, I was going to make a welcome back Cotter joke, but Jesus Christ, dude! <laughs> <laughs> Your dad, dude. Sorry, Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is this a joke? <laughs> Christ. And I'm yes, Chad. I'm jotting it down so I can mention it in the death section when I go back in time after we get off the phone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so say it, Chad. What? What we're doing next week? Mm-hmm. What are we doing next week? Algorithm. Next week we are doing True Romance, which should be good. Really? Yep. Nice. That's a good movie. A lot of interesting lore there too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's where it came from. It was. Uh... Kilmer is Elvis, huh? That's right, baby. That's right. Our guest talked about Kilmer is Elvis in Real Genius, and I think we uh, got this one on the radar after that. The mighty Vince Clorto. That's it. Well, there you have it, folks. Stay tuned for that. And thanks for joining us on this season five of The Expanse. It was great having you. We'll see you next week. Z105. <laughs> see ya. Bye. Well, man, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. You can find the show notes for this episode in your podcast app of choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 92. If you would like to support this show, we would love for you to do that. You can rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast Nuggleberries. You can also leave us a review. Leaving a review is a little bit more personal and people read those reviews and they're like, hmm. And it really helps them decide whether they want to listen to a particular show or not. You can also support us on Patreon with patreon.com forward slash GBD podcast. You can also tell a friend to check out the show, folks. Everybody's got at least one. I got two, Ben and Jarhigo. <laughs> so tell your friend to check out the show. Ben and Jarhigo, I love that. Is that what I said? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That was great. Yeah, I got I got two friends, Ben Kenobi and Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> you can always follow us on social media, and we would encourage you to do so. We use the handle at EBD Podcast on most social media platforms. We spend a lot of time on Instagram, so you can usually find some sort of fun, interesting conversation going on there. Thanks for tuning in with us on The Expanse this week, folks. Stay tuned for True Romance next week, and we'll see you next time. So long. And we're back, broadcasting live from inside the power band. This is the blah. How long can you keep this up for? The whole show, motherfucker. Beedy, beedy, beedy. Stop into it.